Hello and welcome to our podcast, What Makes Them Tip? Innovations that change everything, where we hear from business leaders and entrepreneurs about the moment, insight, or inspiration that made everything possible and ultimately pushed them over the tipping point. I'm Mike Strada, founder and CEO of Arcalea, where we inspire business change by introducing data science, formal analytics, and provide implementation from marketing. Moneyball for growth-oriented businesses, we say success is now a science. Stay with us, and at the end of the show, we'll share how you can be the next guest on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the industry. And with that, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to What Makes Them Tip, innovations that changed everything. I'm Jeff, and once again, here I am with the privilege to talk to amazing people who are truly innovating in their particular entrepreneurial space. And this is a chance for us to hear their stories. Now, today's guest has a passion for technology and working with people. And he founded a managed IT and managed security services company that is no stranger to the Inc. 5000 and has quickly risen to the top in Northern California. He's the co-founder and CEO of Datapath. Please welcome David Darmstandler. Welcome, David. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, We are grateful that you took the time to be with us on the show. Um, so you're in, you're in California, is that right? Correct. What? Yeah. So, uh, based in California, we've got an office, uh, in central California, um, in Modesto, and then we've got one in Fresno and then one in Southern Cal now. Awesome. And, uh, I'm in Cleveland, Ohio. I can only imagine maybe the weather's a little bit better for you guys right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, California isn't too bad. Obviously they say, uh, 200 million people a year wake up in the winter and say, I wish I was in California. So <laughs> yeah, you've got, uh, you know, roughly 70, 70 degrees, uh, any given time. And then you've got, uh, you know, you know, we've had our, we've had our rough patches over the last few years though, with, you know, obviously lots of rain and at points and even fires. So sure. Um, yeah. It's not a bad place to live. Awesome. Uh, and apparently not a bad place to start a business because that's where you guys got started. Uh, you work for Datapath. Tell me a little bit about Datapath. What do you guys do there? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so Datapath, uh, you know, we manage server, cloud, and network infrastructures for organizations. Um, you know, we also manage security, so we keep the guy, the bad guys out. So we we do what's called detection and response, where um, you know we're essentially you know, making sure that you know threats that you know look real are are given attention, and and um, you know we kind of kick the bad guys out of of the networks for people. Uh, yeah, so you know we 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 do this for large organizations. Started this company with a good buddy of mine, James Bates. Uh, we we were friends since the third grade, so you know we were either going to go jail together or start or start a company. <laughs> so real yeah. troublemakers, but uh, kind of entrepreneurs as kids. You know, even started with just kind of you know having our own. You know, we'll we'll mow your lawn for five dollars kind of business out the gate, and as we got older, decided we want to do something real together. So. Um, you know, we're, we're six days apart, um, obviously different, different mothers, but we, um, we really, uh, we love what we do and we've, uh, you know, we really love the ability to have an impact on our local communities and just, you know, really do something for our team members as well. So, you know, make it a great place for all of us to work. So. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about managed services and, and in particular managed security services too, that you guys do both, uh, and why a company would, would need that kind of service. What do you? Yeah, bring? absolutely. I mean, it's it's been a long journey to kind of get to where we are, you know, shaping our products and services and stuff. But at this point, you know, we, um, you know, it, for those that are in the industry, they don't understand what's called co-managed. So, I mean, 
we come with organizations that have IT departments and they ask us to kind of take over a certain portion of the technology. So we're, you know, essentially become the hired guns to enhance IT departments as opposed to going out and hiring additional staff if they can even, you know, find that talent. So we have a bunch of specialists and those specialists, you know, monitor, manage, maintain the server net, server infrastructure, network infrastructure, all that stuff that's needed for these companies, especially as people have gone remote, it's become a much bigger issue. Sure. Uh, and obviously just layering on these additional skill sets such as like security. So, you know, they um, they pay us a flat monthly fee to kind of be part of their team. And, um, you know, we, you know, that includes a slew of things from, you know, helping them plan and do, you know, 36 month plans for technology to kind of helping them innovate and become competitive in their own industry and space, um, which we all know generally has to do with using some form of technology, right? So, sure. Um, yeah. Awesome. So, uh, and you guys have been around for over 15 years there in Northern California. And um, I'd like to go back if we could and, and, and kind of talk about like how you got there. Like what were you doing before you decided to kind of sit on your own and do a business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously when I started, I had a lot more hair, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> running a business is, uh, definitely had its points of stress, but, um, you know, it's, it's been a great ride. We, you know, I started out, uh, you know, I finished college over in the Bay area, uh, in Santa Cruz. And, you know, I had a couple different options. I, you know, looked at, I had a big corporate job kind of out the gate, you know, right as I came out of college and I was there for a very short period and went, man, this is just not for me. So, mm -hmm actually started using their conference room at night with my manager's approval to like start working with, you know, other potential partners. So I launched my first company out of Sacramento um, with a good buddy of mine named Eric. Uh, we, you know, we did kind of a uh, company that basically, you know, built websites and e-commerce and stuff like that. So kind of back into technology and learned a lot. I mean, basically we sold things and we would leave and go, how the, how the hell are we going to deliver on that? Um, and, you know, we always found a way. And so, you know, it, it was, um, but, it, you know, great opportunity to meet great people, to understand different parts of business. I didn't. And, um, you know, a few years after that, I, you know, started meeting with James, my partner now. And, you know, we really just kind of the two of us, um, he was in IT already and had, you know, a few customers. And we just kind of started hitting the street and talking to everybody we knew about, you know, what we were doing. And, and uh, I would love to say that we had some, you know, we did have a good plan when we started. We spent a lot of time on our plan, but, you know, it was, uh, I love that Mike Tyson, you know, quote of basically like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And that's pretty much, you know, what it yeah. was like in the beginning, right? It was a daily grind of, you know, everything from doing sales to, you know, servicing customers just out, you know, out, out the gate when we first started. And, um, but thankfully we ended up with some pretty good sized contracts those first, you know, six months or so. And, Allow us to hire some team members, and um, it was kind of history from there. Tell us a little bit about the times you got punched in the face. Then I know that's the uh, um, everybody tries to come with a plan, and it's some some people go in without a plan. I've talked to, and it's like you know I was just flying by the seat of my pants. But um, it sounds like even with a plan, you're still going to run into some obstacles. What kind of obstacles did you guys encounter? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the problem with the plan was that, you know, like the plan included very little conversations with customers when we were writing the plan, right? So as we started actually doing the work, there was a lot more interaction with customers and customers going, well, yeah, that sounds great for you, right? For me mm -hmm. to pay you this, but really my value is over here. And um, so, you know, we shifted, you know, based on that uh, 
and we were thankfully small enough that we were just really nimble and could do that um, to where, you know, now as you get larger, we still have a real heavy focus of just constant customer engagement feedback and everything else. But, you know, it gets more difficult because you've got all these people that are trained and they're trained to provide a service a certain way. So you've um, becomes a little bit more complicated, but yeah, those, you know, there was definitely some situations where, you know, you're uh, you know, you think that the direction you're going is the right one and it's, you know, you get stopped in your tracks by obviously nobody wanting to do it or, you know, or pay for it, or obviously the customer's just not finding value in it. And that was a really, I think what, you know, in the early years allowed us to be successful was just that um, constant kind of revamping of what we were providing, you know, to align with what customers wanted. So. Yeah, so being flexible and and adapting yep. as you go. Um, and that's what we talk about in the show is innovation. So let's talk a little bit about what you guys um, were trying to bring to the table that maybe somebody else wasn't doing at that time. Like what were you guys trying to, uh, especially early on, what was the focus there? Yeah. So, I mean, early on, um, you know, we were essentially, you know, moving to this model that didn't exist yet, right? It's it's commonplace now. So like managed services is actually known where when we were first selling it 15 years ago, people were like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I, <laughs> I don't have a clue what you're, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so, you know, we were selling this kind of flat rate model where, you know, people could pay us X, you know, X dollars a month and, you know, we would take care of all their infrastructure, um, their help desk, all that stuff. Um, and we've, you know, evolved since then, but, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, very difficult to sell in the beginning because there was a lot of education required and the customers didn't understand what it was, didn't understand what they were getting for that money and preferred to just kind of stick with what they knew, right. Which is not uncommon, right. So you've got this kind of, you know, as you know, the early adopters and the people that are willing to take those risks Mm. because they see the value that others don't, um, and until you get into that early majority, which is, you know, far beyond that now in the managed services space. So it's still growing, but it's kind of in that mature area of innovation. Um, so, I mean, we were really trying to uh, provide people, you know, a service that allowed them to uh, not have an IT department and we would be their IT department. Right. So, um, and that was, uh, it was a tough sell. Sure. So we had to do that with, coming in cheaper than it would be for an IT department to service you. And we had to do that with a lot of innovation on the back end. So a lot of, you know, scripting and automation and things like that, that, you know, allowed us to do more with less hours. Um, So it required a lot more tools, either third party or own development internally. Um, And so, you know, all of those things were, you know, in many ways a risk, but as we kind of, you know, started to, um, see that customers were, you know, over the next you know few years after that, when we started, there was definitely some, um, a little bit more uh, openness to the concept, right? So out the gate, it was a tough sell, man. It was like, yeah. it was, uh, you know, and so most people didn't do it. They, most firms like ours just stuck with like, let's just, um, let's just do the normal consulting. We'll charge you by the hour. But um, as we know that, you know, that's not, there was a couple of problems with that model, which was you couldn't do what was right for the customer, right? Without calling them and saying, Hey, can we spend five hours on this? They'd probably say no. Right. Even though, you know, it's, it means that their business may or may not continue to be able to operate. Um, so yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what, what do you think, or what did you guys have to do to educate the customers then and uh, to, to this new thing? 
Yeah, uh, it was um, it was a lot of meetings. It was a lot of no's. Mm. You know? It was a lot of, uh, and so as we got more no's, I think we realized like, okay, there's some better questions to to ask, or there's some better ways to shape the way we're presenting it or what we're actually offering. Um, you know, but I mean, as, as time went on, I, I think, um, you know, we realized that, uh, you know, we had to drive more value through innovation and, and, um, you know, to, to bring the cost down or to, to bring more value to the customer. Right. So they, they were perceived as getting more. And that's what was so hard about selling what we were was just, it's an intangible, right? So, they, they don't get to touch it or feel it or see it. Um, you know, if you're selling the cloud or, you know, something else like that, it's like, they don't, it's hard for them to grasp. Sure. It's like, if you pull up in a, with a Corvette or a Tesla or something and say, Hey, here's 50 grand. It's like, like Oh yeah, no, I, I, I totally get that. I can touch it and feel it and drive away with it. Um, so I think that was, you know, definitely part of it. And, you know, it's, um, you know, I think it also, we realized the type of customer that, we need to work with, which were those that were growing, right? So they're growing in their demand of technology. And that, that was a big shift for us, right? To go, okay, it wasn't that necessarily what we were offering was wrong. It was just, we were trying to sell it to the wrong people. Mm. Um, so, you know, we weren't going to do well in like a cost cutting environment, right? That just wasn't where we were going to thrive. We were going to thrive with an organization that like really saw the value in what we provided, and had a great need for technology, right? So, yeah. And then the in the ensuing fifteen years, as managed services started to grow and become more of more of a thing that people were using, obviously it's it's a lot more mainstream now. Uh, and and in fact, you know, maybe even just a, a couple of years ago, if you'd said managed services, people still wouldn't know what what you were talking about. Um, but I went ahead and asked you earlier to to define it because you never know. There might be people out there who aren't quite sure what you do. But um, now that things you've watched that kind of, I guess, field grow over the last 15 years, tell me what you guys are doing now to innovate as uh, as that's becoming more and more of a common thing. Yeah, I know. It's uh it's honestly discouraging when you're like 15 years in and it's like all of a sudden now there's like conferences and, you know, I mean, stuff just around managed services and all these guys are like, Oh yeah, this is like the best field. And you're like, man, we were like, we were like the guys in the wagons, you know, we were the pioneers uh, (laughs) trying to make this work. So, um, you know, now, uh, you know, as we've gotten larger as an organization, um, you know, we've, we just, we, we set teams, you know, basically strike teams in place to innovate. So we put a leader in place. Um, there's, you know, we can go into the, I guess, down the rabbit hole of like the way it's structured and kind of where it came from. Cause there's some innovative like leadership structures you can develop internally and there's ones that fail and there's ones that generally work. So we're going with a model that generally works that, you know, puts a key person in charge of driving innovation and gives them some talented folks underneath them. Um, and so, you know, Oftentimes you're putting money into those things and they may or not may not have a great return, but you always learn something along the way that you can apply and, and use for your customers or make you more successful as an organization or, you know, give you something that, you know, brings more value to the customer. So, I mean, we found that these work really great and, they're, and it's much better in smaller teams. So a couple of talented folks, um, generally on the software side, um, somebody in automate, you know, some kind of 
you know, some kind of automation background that, you know, that's, it's relevant to our space when it comes to managed services. And um, that's been successful. So, you know, we've got a couple of those going now, smaller teams internally of, you know, three, maybe four guys that are driving innovation and, and hopefully coming out with on the end, not only just, you know, enhancing our services, but also maybe, you know, developing products and things like that, that, you know, can, you know, bring value to the customers. So. What, what are you guys doing, I guess, to, to kind of increase that growth that you guys have had? I mean, you make the 5,000 on a, on a fairly regular basis there. for Yeah. Eight eight times, I think now. Yeah. Yeah. What is, what do you think has been kind of the secret to, to that continuous growth? Um, yeah, no, I mean, uh, we've obviously just, we've had a good amount of organic growth. Um, the last, I would say, you know, three years, um, we really started to see a lot, I guess a greater magnitude of organic growth as we kind of matured as an organization. So, you know, we just, we had better processes in place, more salespeople, you know, things like that, better marketing. And then obviously we've been acquiring organizations. So we've been going out and that's been risky and scary, you know, cause we're, we've just kind of been doing things grassroots, but um, we found some opportunities to buy organizations that have technology or, um, you know, either are on the way to, you know, develop some innovation and, and um, we've picked them up. So we've done two of those in the last one in, one in 2018 and then one in 2020. So we did one right in the middle of COVID, which was, <laughs> freaking scary. I mean, it was all done beforehand. So it was like, there was no backing out at that point. And so it was like, but just, you know, to integrate companies over zoom was something wow. I don't want to do again, but you know, sure. we did, right. I mean, we did the entire transaction over zoom. So, um, so that was, uh, you know, that's definitely interesting. That's something we're going to continue to do. So we're continuing to look for targets throughout the West coast and beyond for, you know, technologies and, other providers, you know, like Datapath, but, you know, primarily looking for something unique, right? So an uh, industry focus or some technology they developed. And, and then we opened up uh, Datapath Labs, gosh, back in, I think, 17 or 18, and we made some investments and some of those went well, some of those didn't, but, you know, we've, um, you know, we've, you know, been, uh, you know, kind of trying to, if we can't develop it internally, like look at some some ways to partner or to be part of things on the outside of the organization. Um, you know, so we've been involved in some crazy IOT based companies and things like that. And we've always, it's always springed our, you know, opened our brains a little bit to go, Hey, wait a minute. I mean, we could apply some of that to what we're doing. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I love to say it's just one approach, but it feels like maybe five or six different ways that we're, we're trying to find ways to continue growing um, either just within the existing business that we have or trying to come up with new things. Um, but, you know, acquisitions have been a big part of it. Cause I mean, a lot of, as you probably have, you know, seen or know it's, I mean, there's a lot of talent you bring to that you would have never had. Right. I mean, it's people you would have never met or, you know, things that, so as long as those cultures match and we kind of all have that, our eye on innovation and, and growth. I mean, it's, it's huge. That was, I was going to ask you then about the acquisition. So like you said, that can be, something risky to go into you're, 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 there's only so much information you can kind of get during that investigative process. And sometimes you don't know entirely what, what you're going to get on the other side. Tell me um, what, what you've learned over the last couple of acquisitions that maybe kind of will drive 
how you pursue further ones, whether there were problems or mistakes or things that you would correct. What advice do you have for other companies that are looking to act, acquire as part of their growth strategy? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I think first and foremost, I mean, the most important, which is going to probably sound a little cliche, is just like, man, culture is so critical. Like, mm. if you wouldn't have a beer with these guys, then I would, or or ladies, I would highly suggest just walking from the deal. I mean, not that you need to, you know, you definitely don't want to pick up people that are just like you. I mean, that's not the point of culture. It's just that you you work on based on the same values. So. Mm. You know, um, that's a huge problem when you go to integrate firms, when you've got two distinct different cultures and maybe one's like one that you've worked hard to build, which is like people trust each other and care about each other and they want to work together and they want to do something great together. And then you bring in some firm that's like cutthroat and people are backstabbing each other. And I just think that, um, you know, we, uh, have definitely, you know, experienced that ourselves and we've seen it with other uh, you know, acquisitions, you know, of other companies that we've been a part of or been partnered with. Um, and that one, you know, that's a, th- that could kill you. You know what I mean? Like I, that, that, that's a huge issue and it's, it's way larger than I think people anticipate. And then I just think you're going into the, um, you know, hiring the right professionals to help you. So I think a lot of guys, especially early on, they try to do all this themselves. They try to like find the target, make the deal happen, do the due diligence. It's like hire people to do it every day. You know what I mean? Like get the right acquisition attorney, you know, get, get the right, you know, banking relationships. So they're like, cause they, they'll help you. They'll ask you questions, tough questions or identify red flags for you. Um, you know, and then find firms, there's firms that just do due diligence, you know, like those are, those are like, that should be your 18, you know, I mean, we're like, yeah, you're going to have to pay them a premium, but they're going to save you so much money and pain. Um, you know, just by stuff you would have never uncovered. And I think the due diligence, like you were saying before, it's like the things that you don't know. Um, there's entire papers written around this, right? They call it, I think they call it the, uh, uh, you know, like the used car concept. It's like someone selling you a used car and they know what's wrong with it and you don't. Mm. Um, but you're super excited about this used car for whatever reason, you know, and so you'll like not do the diligence you need to, to identify that's a lemon. Right. So the same thing is with selling an organization. Like they know things you don't know, right. Whether an accounts, you know, key accounts are about to leave or, um, you know, maybe employees are going to leave or who knows, there's all kinds of things that, you know, could potentially be there. So hiring the right folks is a huge one. Yeah. So what do you think, uh, and you may, it may have been something you've already mentioned, but this is a chance to kind of elaborate on it. What do you think has been your company's uh, biggest tipping point towards success? Um, yeah, I, I think narrowing down what we do, um, you know, and who we can actually service, right? So um, kind of our, our target and our segment and, you know, what we can actually deliver upon um, because we you know as, as we got larger, we realized, man, we, like we have more bodies, but we're doing a disservice to our own team and to our customers to pretend like we can do everything to the level that we want to. So I think really starting to narrow down those things that we offer um, and especially those industries that we can serve was huge, man. I mean, because it, it really allows you to scale 
you know, you think it's limiting you, but in the end it's allowing you to grow a lot faster because, you know, you, you've got a team that's trained properly. They know what they're delivering. The customer knows what to expect. There's just a lot of stuff that you spend less time putting out fires is the best way to put it. So. Sure. Sure. Now I know that your company is also very uh, concerned about being involved in the community and giving back. Tell me a little bit about some of the stuff that you guys are doing there locally. Yeah, so we've been involved in a lot of stuff. I mean, we've, um, uh, you know, we we launched a, uh, a coding academy for junior hires. So um, every summer, um, and we still have. It's, it's cool. I actually was in a, a I was a judge on a applica- uh you know, software app competition, and one of the students that had been part of the first programs was there. You know, later on, and you know, late in high school, presenting her application. So. Seeing kids continue to stick with that is really cool. I mean, obviously we're we're giving financially, but we're always looking for unique ways to participate in some way. So, um, and each office has kind of their own things going. So, um, it's everything from kind of like you know, kind of houses that are helping you know troubled youth. But our focus has really been has really been on youth since we we started. So that's been a series of different. Um, you know, we've been part of uh, Lemonade Day National, where we're teaching you know grade school kids how to be entrepreneurs, mm. so they had to build business plans and learn what a P and L was, and you know, kind of create their own lemonade stand and location, and you know, you know, figure out how they're going to market the product and how they're going to make profit. They have to go out and get investors. So, I mean, you know, those things that kind of spur a change in you know, um, I guess just have that light bulb click on, right? Letting them know that they can work for themselves. Yeah. I I like the fact that you guys are investing kind of in education, especially in like STEM and coding and things like that. Do you, it's kind of, do you see that kind of as a way of kind of raising up uh, future uh, employees to kind of stay in the area and be able to, you know, kind of work in that field? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, for us, Internally, we're big. I mean, both my partner and I grew up with nothing. You know, I grew up really poor and, you know, um, uh, you know, we both grew up in not the best neighborhood and we've, we've been huge on just um, wanting to kind of give a hand up, right? I mean, to, to help people come up. We're not looking to just hand out money, but, you know, we want to help people like help themselves. And, and so internally, everyone knows that's our mission. Um, and so, you know, whether it's STEM, whether it's art, music, I mean, we don't really care what their passion is mm-hmm. as long as they're working towards making a greater impact on the world. They're not just looking for a free handout. And, and um, so, I mean, that's been, it's been awesome, man, to see the change, right. To have these kids. Uh, I mean, when we did that first program, there was kids and we took them places like that was a big part of it, right. It was tours it wasn't like, I mean, they went to Facebook and a few other, you know, huge corporations, but they had never been to a, um, an office before. Right. And this was my partner driving all this. He was telling all the stories, but like, you know, there was like, I mean, they'd never seen escalators. I mean, stuff like that where you're like, wow. well, that's just, you know, you would think it's common or like, you know, you know, and not that, I mean, I don't know how long, I mean, <laughs> how much some of that stuff's important, but like the, sure. the fact they'd never been in a professional office was huge. Right. Like to come in and go, Hey, I could, I can do this. It's not that intimidating, right? Like, you know, as, you know, as entrepreneurs, like you hit, the, most people say, and it's, I have a ton of them in my life, right? Like, I feel like every year I have the same conversation with these people. And some of them, I finally just started telling them like, 
Hey, don't talk to me about this again until you've made some movement on it. Right. Like, don't tell me you want to start a business or you want to write a book or whatever. Like just, just start for the love. Right. Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> just do something. Right. And you know, what happens though, is they hit this wall, right? Like where it's like, you're starting a business and, people, and for whatever reason, everyone's always telling everyone they got to start like a corporation. Right. So it's like, somebody will like get going. And it's like, they, they're told they have to start a LLC or whatever, which isn't necessarily true, but I mean, they, it's becomes this big wall doom because like they don't know how, right. So yeah. it's like, they just stop. And that's not, you know, the best entrepreneurs I know over a 24 hour period will just crank things out. They'll just figure it out. Right. They'll just make the phone calls. They'll, um, you know, uh, GTH, right. I mean, it's, I mean, they'll, they'll Google whatever they have to, to, um, you know, essentially get some action going cause get some form of momentum, right. Going in. And, uh, so, I mean, to be able to help students understand that to where they could like, yeah, like your, your destiny is yours, right. You don't like, you don't have to just go get a job. If you want to start something, whether it's for profit, nonprofit, whatever, like, you know, you've got the ability, like you're just as smart as I am. So, I mean, you know, so it's, it's fun to, to be able to kind of help people up in that way. That's awesome. I love that. I love what you guys are doing out there. That sounds great. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to give you a chance to kind of tell folks where to find you guys, where your website is and how they might get in touch with you. Yeah, sure. Um, you, know, you can find Datapath at mydatapath.com. It's just M-Y-D-A-T-A-P-A-T-H.com. And we're also on you know LinkedIn. So, um, But yeah, if you just Google Datapath Modesto or Datapath California, we'll come up. Um, yeah, and you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Dave Darmstandler, and and uh, also on Instagram and a few other areas. I'm sure if you dig me up. There's not very many Darmstandlers out there. So pretty quick, Google <laughs> will, uh, will find me pretty quick. So, Awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Yeah. Thank you, man. It's a pleasure. And thank you for listening to another episode of What Makes Them Tip Innovations That Changed Everything. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to our show, What Makes Them Tip Innovations That Changed Everything. If you're an entrepreneurial leader and you'd like to share the inspiration that changed everything in your business or venture, please visit arcalea.com slash guest and a small request. If you've liked this interview, please help us out by sharing this episode with a friend or on social with the hashtag Arcalea. You can also help us out right now by providing a review in your podcast player and a thumbs up or rating review would help a ton. We promise to read every word and it helps us improve a little bit each day. And while you're at it, please also subscribe because every week you're going to be inspired and learn from other leaders in bite-sized increments. Again, my name is Mike Strada. Let's connect either on social or stay up to date on all things business at arcalea.com. Thanks again for listening and thank you for being part of the over 99% of America's firms that make up the entrepreneurial community. Until next time.